Welcome to a super special episode of Neurotransmissions. This is our 50th episode. It's a big milestone for us. Uh, my name is Misha Smirnov, and I'm sitting here with Joe Schumacher Yo. and Jeremy Chang. Um, thank you guys for joining me. Uh, we're, we've got thank a, you for having us. You're welcome, bud. Uh, we've got a great episode coming up for you, but you know, first we just wanted to take a moment, uh, thank our fans, and thank everybody who's um, been involved in this podcast and helped this podcast happen. And thank you to our live studio audience. Um, I just wanted to uh, take a minute to thank all the guest hosts that we've had. So uh, thank you to Paul Evans, Amber Longo, Elena Decker, Varad Kellner, Audrey Bonan, Michael Yetman, Matthias Lubert, Ben Scholl, Andre Steinecke, He Zhang, Dan Wilson. And also we want to thank all the people that helped produce this podcast, especially Kevin Albertini, Katie Edwards, Miguel Gutierrez, Jennifer Gutierrez, and everyone else at Max Planck who has supported us and uh, you know, given us this, uh, this forum to talk about science. Yeah, the Institute's been incredibly support, uh, supporting of, uh, of everything here. And you know, when, when speakers come, uh, a lot of the time they get asked before we even know to do this podcast. And we're just really excited to be given the opportunity to do this. So uh, way back when, when we first started recording uh, episodes of this show, we had a really special guest. Nobel laureate Dr. Bert Sockman was on the program. And he, the honorary founder of this institute. Exactly. Uh, he played a huge role in getting MPFI off the ground, even just getting it into Florida. And um, we're presenting that special episode today. Um, so Jeremy, what do, we have, what do we have in store in this episode? So on this episode, we'll hear a little bit about uh, how Dr. Sackman came to Florida and started the institute and how, how science came to Florida. Awesome. And we'll hear a little bit about his science too, right? Uh, on next week's episode, yeah. Okay, cool. So um, enjoy this special 50th episode. And uh, what else? Would you guys want to add anything? Probably an air horn. Oh, yeah. And here's Bert Sockman. <laughs> For example, my kiteboard teacher, Jeremy, whom I, I mean, he made my life here uh, sort of bearable. Yeah. Uh, he was first asking, what, Max Planck, what is your company selling? So I had to explain him at length. Right. Welcome to Max Planck Florida's Neurotransmissions Podcast. On this episode, we have the first part of a two-part interview recorded in June 2016 with Dr. Bert Sackman, Nobel Prize recipient and the inaugural scientific director of Max Planck Florida. Joe and Misha sit down with Dr. Sackman as he recounts the early days of Max Planck Florida, recruiting scientists to the Institute and developing a scientific program. Uh, you know that I made a video. There's a video mm -hmm. on the opening of the institute. Yeah. With a, with a kite. I right. I've seen this video. Yeah. yeah. So with a, with a uh, Max Planck, you know, and a Minerva, because <laughs> uh, I reckoned that in Florida, you, to attract attention, you have to be a sportsman. Otherwise, people don't take uh, notice of you. So right. I mean, that was actually... <laughs> Oddly enough, this was our first question for you on the yeah. podcast was, how did you get into kite surfing? Uh, it's like a pretty extreme sport. So how did you just... Pretty, oh, yeah, right. pretty easy that. to break your legs. Yeah, it's no, no, no. It was my, my daughter was visiting. Okay. And she got, uh, you know, sort of interested in, uh, in kiteboarding, watching. She's a young, young lady. And... Uh, so she said, I want to learn this. And being my daughter, I, can't, I cannot say no. Being, uh, and then I said, well, I watched her. And then uh, I thought, maybe I can do this as well. So we, we took lessons together. 
and uh, had you know it took some time, but then we were kiting together on the just on the coast here, yes, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. Because I've seen I've seen the video of you kite surfing, and it's it's sort of unbelievable. Because I feel like even um, like college age kids like wouldn't be able to do it. It seems like no, no, no. It's not true. I mean, you have to have the right teacher. Yeah, uh, problem with wind. It's is a wonderful sport, um, and you, my experience is you can do it only in Florida, where you where you just can say there is wind. I'll go out. Right. Not waiting for the wind. This is useless. If if you go, let's say, I try to continue this in in uh, in Europe, taking a vacation of eight days, and there was one day with wind, and the rest of the of the, of the time you sit around, and this is uh, not not uh, can't be done. Whereas here in Florida, if you work here, there's always a, a way to to get out, you know, quickly. And I mean, we were actually wondering if. The only reason you're in the institute today is because it's raining and it's not a good day to go kitesurfing. <laughs> well, uh, right now, from May on anyway, there is um, rather little wind. The wind is low. Since I'm uh, not exactly made for kitesurfing because I'm too tall and too heavy, uh, you need a lot. You need more wind than there is usually between May and uh, October. But then there is good wind during the winter. So that's when we'll see you around more. Yeah. <laughs> good. Um, so we're, we, Misha and I were wondering what it was that brought you here in the first place. Because you are the the inaugural scientific director of yeah. Max Planck Florida mm -hmm. Institute. Well, I don't know how, how deeply I should go into the history, which is a very difficult one. But the story from my point of view uh, is that uh, about seven years ago, it was Easter time, seven years ago, I got a call from the president of the Max Planck Society, Peter Cruz, whom I know quite well, and said, uh, can I talk to you? Uh, can you do something for me? I said, well, fine, no, no, but what is it? Because in the Max Planck, uh, we, we are supposed to be helping each other, you know, uh, because we, we have an extremely research-friendly uh, environment, so you have to you know help the society. Then it turned out that uh, they were looking for an inaugural director here. So I phoned my wife, I asked my wife, um, would you come with me? And she said, yes, for a year or so. And also I thought it's a year. And uh, since I have been, I have many friends in the States, I thought, you know, why not go to the States for a year and visit all my friends and help to build this institute? Now, I came here almost seven years ago. I didn't know where the institute was. So I asked a policeman, and the policeman was extremely friendly, extremely friendly, and said, can I do help something for you? And... He brought me in his car to uh, to the police station, and apparently I was sitting in the wrong. I was sitting behind, and that's usually for the perpetrator. For the right, <laughs> okay. But I don't. I don't care. But but everybody was laughing at, uh, at this. That's great. So uh, then I came here, looked at the institute, um, and looked into the over there, the old these old huts, and there was literally nothing, zero. 
I thought, oh, it could be an interesting experience. But I had at the same time two very enthusiastic lab members who had joined me in, in, uh, in uh, Munich. This is uh, Marcel Oberländer and Hanno Sebastian Meyer. So I asked them, uh, so I'm going, going back, what about going to Florida? It will require some building of, of the institute, but then we can do research uh, in, you know, in an American environment, which is still very attractive for Europeans. So they said immediately yes. So the first half year was spent on getting all the equipment over. What I what I realized is not exactly the most, if or was not the most effective place to get things done. So what I did is I collected all the equipment in Munich, brought it over, and within half a year or even less, I remember around Christmas, we had the first experiment going. Oh, nice. And my reckoning was that in order to find a permanent director, you have to demonstrate that uh, here in this place you can do first-class research. And this worked out because uh, uh, probably you know, first we had, we had, uh, had somebody else in mind, but he did not come in for a fortnight before he was uh, due to come. I asked uh, David Fitzpatrick and he was looking around and I think he had a good impression that he's going to come. So on purpose, I said, I want to get, I don't want to go to meetings and this and this and this, I, I can't have that. But we want to do science and demonstrate to the locals and to people which I had to bring in that here in Florida you can do science, neuroscience. Anyway, this is, uh, uh, and the, the other um, uh, thing I thought is it is very difficult to get animal experimentation permission virus, uh, using virus, and so on, so on, so on. As usual, it's the same in Germany. In Germany, it's even worse. Uh, so what, what can you do? You can do classical anatomy. You don't need, you know, I mean, this is, you always can do uh, without X permissions. Mm -hmm. And so we brought in and bought the most modern equipment to do what I called digital anatomy. The idea of this is to trace neurons with their processes, put this into a digital form, and then have it stored as a 3D uh, construct in the computer. And this worked out really uh, beautifully because uh, very quickly it became known. This is an honors camp campus, and then the people would come and queue up for helping. Because neuroscience is still something enigmatic mm -hmm. or attractive, so we had very, very, uh, very, uh, how do you say, motivated young people from over there. They were chemists and physicists and what have you not, but for their free time they would come and would be paid. You know, I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need as much money as I want. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. So, being on the ground floor, you were responsible for recruiting people but in order to recruit people to come here you had to demonstrate yes how first it thing could be and then also 
you had to show that you could do that within certain constraints because yes. things that hadn't been right. established. Yet. This was the idea. Otherwise, we'll not find anybody, you know, because nobody in his or her right mind would come and then spend a year or two or three to build an institute. So this was my consideration. Get going as as, uh, as fast as possible. And, you know, anatomy is very attractive, as you know. Mm-hmm. 3D nerve cells are very nice. Even if you have two or three and build, fill this out of the brain, this... And this worked both for support, local support with the students. And I would like to thank, again, the students that helped us, incredibly young, motivated uh, students. I'm really sorry to say that most of them then did not stay in Florida. That's a bit of a uh, pattern here, that they come, are motivated, get their degrees, and then up north. Mm. which is a pity and Florida really should do something about that they definitely have to do something because you have gifted people but you can't uh, keep them here or at that time maybe it's changed what do you think the state of Florida or or people at institutes around here could do to retain some of the talent I mean if you're losing people to graduate school and med school outside the state how do you make things more well it's their problem it's not really my problem (laughs) uh and what I he- hear or heard from the students was that they want, maybe I shouldn't say this, they want to have a degree from a famous university in order to... Yeah, they want name recognition. Yes. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but that, that's the truth. You know. So, uh, But on the other hand, Florida Atlantic was also very helpful, very helpful. So everybody was helpful. And it was not such a difficult thing with all this help uh, and enthusiasm. And uh, I think it worked pretty nicely. So you were able to capitalize on the enthusiastic young people at yes. FAU in the, in the general area. And my two assistants, we had a, a, mm-hmm. a, fi- a fixed program or a, a plan. We want to reconstruct the smallest unit of the cerebral cortex, which is called a column, by not only doing anatomy, but we first record the activity, fill the cell. This is sort of easy. The uh, labor-intensive part then is to reconstruct it. And once they have been uh, reconstructed, they have to be what you call registered in in a 3D Cartesian system. And... This, again, uh, we had some help, some local help. We could buy, the, at the time, the best computers, fastest, because you have to have a fast uh, transfer. And um, image analysis, as you know, is in, incredibly consuming. On, uh, data-wise. Mm, data-wise. Yeah. Mm. And uh, this was also, maybe I shouldn't say this again, I mean, <laughs> there was no limit to uh, limit and resources so we got the best system were these like electron microscopy uh no no this was all light it was all done in light microscopy but uh, this is what i had started in munich Mm -hmm. together with my colleague denk to look at uh, electron microscopy but there was no way that we start this year there was just no way Mm -hmm. there was no infrastructure uh so i thought do them do the 
most interesting thing you can do under these conditions. And this was not physiology, this was not EM, this was straightforward tracing of uh, field cells. Like very classical techniques. Very classical, yeah. but as I said, within half a year we got going. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's great. So when you're talking about actually using, uh, uh, obviously the appeal of this technique when you're when you're working with digital neuroanatomy is that most of the time, uh, a lo- or a lot of your time, you can spend not actually working with animals, like you said. That's much yeah. easier on, mm-hmm. on certain rules. And you're exactly right. Uh, and what are you? What were you trying to uh, essentially figure out? Are you just uh, working in general connectomics and try to map out circuits, or you know, what is I guess the purpose of the getting purpose a single was unit to have a 3D representation of all cell types in a column, map their frequency, map their processes, dendrites and the, and, and axons, and eventually create a column in silico that is being made alive with the electrical measurements that we do at the same time. Mm. So other than EM with light microscopy, you first look at the function of these cells. So we have a, a dual connectome, if you may say so. One is purely anatomical and the other one is functional. And they have to come together because uh, if you have, uh, let's say, the plan without the signal sweeping it, you, you have not reached your goal. And this is what I found more attractive or find still more attractive to have uh, electrical signals with and with these signals we can enliven this uh, this uh, network so kind of like both structure and function are very necessary yes right uh, if you have okay. a human body it's a dead body it's not going to be very useful uh, uh, well it's nice to have <laughs> all the connections but yeah. then let's say you have all the connections what's the next right what's the next now you can say since it's digital we'll assume that there is a constant firing neuron in place X1. But this is pulled out of thin air. So you have to have the the uh, data. And we are still working on this. I mean, we have a complete uh, reconstruction of the dendrite and of the axons. And uh, there are two papers in cerebral cortex, very large papers with uh, with all the data. And right now, uh, Oberländer continues this program and we are now at the stage to do uh, functional measurements. And when, you, when you're talking about the, the future of this, uh, you mentioned that uh, the plan is kind of to recreate a circuit in silico. Um, mm-hmm. how, how complicated uh, do you see that um, even, I guess, potentially uh, realistically and, and theoretically going? I mean, uh, are we going to be able to uh, replicate the activity of a single cell uh, on uh, basically a computer chip, or is it going to be an interaction with uh, 50 cells, a million cells, a billion cells? Uh, well, in our are case, we make a cerebellum or a brain? Our, okay, uh, you know, I started this project before I came uh, in Heidelberg still, and the idea was you, you choose a system that is very, very stereotyped. So uh, we choose the somatosensory system because you have these barrel structures and this means from animal to animal you can use the same exactly the same area within 50 micrometer. If you do the same thing in the visual cortex, 
or sometimes here, or sometimes here, sometimes here. And unless you assume everything is isotropic, which it isn't, you're not going to get the right answer for this. Uh, you have to take in, into account the anisotropy of, uh, of the anatomy. And this is what the barrel system offers. And this is what we made use of. And uh, right now, since we have the input, the output of certain cell types, we have the synoptic, uh, most of the synoptic connections, we can start to simulate what is happening in a uh, cortical column. Actually, it's nine cortical columns you need. What is happening to create the output signal when an animal touches an object and then based on the uh, signal that are generated makes a decision, let's say, to jump across a gap. And I think we'll, we'll be there for a very simple behavioral task. We'll be able in, you know, in the next future to uh, generate the activity in this uh, piece of cortex in silico. And the attraction is then you can start and say, now let's challenge it with a, with a different, let's say you want to strike two whiskers or three or in sequence and find out what is happening in this piece of cortex and has it any resemblance to what we, we can measure. So is, is the idea that if you can recapitulate all the known functional properties of this circuit, then you've essentially solved the circuit. Uh, we have solved uh, the circuit, but we are not there. I'm, I have to say uh, that we did not reconstruct ten thousand uh, neurons, mm. but we took, you know, we counted the number of neurons. This is very in one, you know, I think it was ten, 10 cortices. But for the reconstruction of the dendrites and the axon, we have a database of about two to three hundred. And, the, and then we took those, formed classes with their locations, and then said, okay, let's extrapolate, assuming that there are nine cell types, nine excitatory cell types, and many more inhibitory cell types. But this is a continuous going on. So, so the, the database is being update, updated, and I still have one collaborator, Andy, whom you might know, mm -hmm who is working on this uh, database, which will be publicly available. So you can pick any neuron in the barrel cortex that we have been recorded from and do whatever you want with it, I mean, connect it or whatever. So, yes, yeah, so you mentioned that you're specifically reconstructing circuits in the rat's whisker system. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and in... In neuroscience, we often hear the term canonical microcircuits to to <laughs> to um, to to represent basically the, the simplest form of information flow between the layers of mm -hmm. cortex. To what extent are the things that you're uncovering in the rat's somatosensory cortex applicable to other cortical regions? Or but you're talking about the the canonical circuit, mm -hmm. which maintains you have first an activation of layer four, and then it's distributed, which is not the case. Mm -hmm. In the whisker system, in a column, you have simultaneous activation of all cell types from layer six 
two layer layer uh, two, or let's say two or three, and the upper class layer two is not. I mean, is activated with a somewhat later latency, a longer latency, almost uh, you know five, six, seven milliseconds, and we interpret this as indicating that the layer two cells are indeed decoupled from the Talmec input, but the rest of the cortex sees the whisker movement immediately. Within 10 milliseconds, all of them see it. There's no such thing as a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, maintain, a, a major layer, uh, and then it's being distributed. This is not the case. Late, for, let's say for the first 50 milliseconds, Later, there are obviously interactions, but the initial uh, activation, let's say this is what is important for the behavior. I mean, if, if, if you look how long it takes for a rodent to make a decision based on risk attachments, about 50 milliseconds, you know, very incredibly fast system. And there, this is very different from the visual cortex where... Much slower. Much slower. But this system is apparently geared for uh, fast reactions. And one of my former collaborators in Heidelberg, Randy Bruno, he is now in, in Colombia, made, and this is, we are not connected, but uh, we are not uh, involved in that, showed even that you can decouple layer 4, layer 3, layer 2 from layer 6 and layer 5 and still get a reaction. So uh, he called this two strata. So for this particular uh, behavior, namely a behavior triggered by a uh, whisker touch, um, it seems that layer six, layer five is enough. Yeah, my, my dear friend, Christine Constantinople. Yeah, she, she's the first, first author on that, mm -hmm. that paper. It's a really wonderful mm -hmm. result. So, yeah. it, so it makes things easier for modeling, you know? Yeah. Because you can say so. What do we do with layer four? It's, uh, it is used to keep the dendrites straight, you know? Mm -hmm. this is <laughs> As a well-established uh, kind of career scientist who now gets to spend uh, a lot of their time, uh, you know, Surfing in Florida, kite surfing, uh, kite surfing in Florida. Uh, other than obviously being smart, you know, if you have uh, kind of suggestions or advice for people who are looking into get into science, and do you think there's a there's a trick or uh, some kind of behavior that's necessary well, I mean, to be successful? I mean, many people ask this, especially from a certain part of the world, um, <laughs> um, which you might guess. Uh, and the thing is, you have to have First of all, you have to have a good idea. You must have an idea. Second is you have to join a lab where you can do these things without pressure. And watching the younger people, uh, how they are under pressure, this is not my kind of uh, world. So join a rich established lab? Uh, yes, but with a lab head who lets you alone for a year or two, you know, uh, and just advises you, not telling you, oh, this and this and this and this. Um, I'm talking about physiology. Mm -hmm. In biochemistry, it could be completely different. Mm -hmm. uh, and the third part, and that's the largest, I would say, is 
having luck. Well, there you have it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get there. <laughs> This has been a production by the Max Planck Florida Institute for Neuroscience. You can listen in on iTunes or SoundCloud, follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at NeuroPodcast. Uh, it's really up to you. Actually, you can say whatever say you want. Whatever, uh, whatever you want, and we'll just edit it to sound exactly perfect for the yeah. For yeah. I mean, I, I do this mm-hmm. for... Uh, David yeah. to help yeah to help the institute flourish good see yeah okay. that's my only incentive we'll make sure that we put that in yeah, there yeah, yeah. yeah.